we've hit a tipping point for social media networks and something is going to fundamentally change as a result of it. Welcome to the Lucas Scrobot Show. I'm Lucas Scrobot, and this is where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. Thanks for being with us again today on the show. Today we have Chirag, who has been on the show a number of times. The last time that he joined us, we were talking about the control of big tech and whether big tech is a publisher, whether they're a bulletin board, and whether their check marks and their algorithms are really them shaping the way that you and I view the world. And today, Chirag is joining us again back on the show to talk about some more scandals uh, that are happening in India right now with Twitter and their manipulation of what you see and what you don't see. So Chirag, thank you so much for being with us on the show. Wow, it's like you opened with the word scandal and now I feel like... I need to say something sensational or this is not going to work. Conspiracy theory, scandal. (laughs) Uh, Maybe it's not a scandal. Probably conspiracy theory is probably more uh, up its alley, huh? Oh, boy. Uh, You're making this worse now. (laughs) Let's get into it then, maybe. (laughs) So before we get in, I mean, we're going to be talking about the Greta's toolkit. We're going to be talking about the COVID toolkit. We're going to be talking about Twitter essentially marking media as, quote unquote, manipulated media. Which is, it seems to me, at least from my point of view, that they're moving beyond being merely a bulletin board into trying to shape the way that people are perceiving the things that are happening, not taking a neutral stance. But before we get into the details of the story, and maybe not a lot of people are familiar with what's going on, what is the big idea, like the the so what that we're really listening for, that we want to take away from this talk. Yeah, actually, that stems from our previous chat, right? So we were talking about this distinguishing between social media platforms being publishers versus platforms. And the the simple distinction being, are they just megaphones that they're giving people or allowing people to connect with each other and communicate and air a view? Or are they actually publishers where they are editorializing the content, whether that's through an algorithm, whether that's through verification, whether that's through... Um, as, as you just mentioned now, this recent trend of fact-checking, right? And the idea of saying this story is, uh, as, as it was in the U.S., um, the claims have been disputed. And now more recently, uh, you know, the, the, the idea of this, this media is manipulated, right? Yeah. Um, as well as uh, we've seen some examples of, have you actually read the story before you share it? You know, that kind of stuff. And then, of course, we've, we've shared many examples of this kind. Um, and and that's kind of where we left it last time. And then, you know, we've taken it a little step further from there because that question mark has been raised again in India. So about six months ago, uh, the government of India put out a regulation uh, specifically for social media platforms where they essentially asked them. I mean, there, there were about six or seven different things that were that were requested. But the two uh, main ones that are that are at the center of all this. Uh, the first one is the uh, appointment of locally residing officers, right? So uh, the idea that uh, if you have a certain uh, user base within India, and they they gave a, they gave a criteria for I think that, it's fifty thousand um, users. And, yeah, and then again, I mean, you know, all the big platforms as Twitter, Instagram, all, WhatsApp, they're all bigger than that number anyway. Um, then you must have a locally registered office in the country, and then you must appoint a set of three officers as compliance officer, nodal officer, and so on. Uh, specific roles, not necessarily, we don't need to get into that, but the point of the, of the matter is they would be contact points for maintaining compliance, for filing grievances as well, right? So if you have some, if you have, um, you've been, whatever, uh, 
banned or a tweet has been banned, your account's frozen, whatever, who do you who do you reach out to within the country, right? And it's a way of sort of bringing it to say, look, you know, the laws of the land apply where you're administering and who do we communicate that to, right? And so that's one uh, part of that regulation. And the other one is the idea of um, finding the source of misinformation, which again is something that has been a bit concerned a, a lot since last year, right? These kind of different pieces of news that go out creating panic in some cases, uh, as we've seen, leading to riots and, and things like that. Yeah. And so the government of India included a thing that's, that says that as long as a certain designation, of course, of a government officer reaches out to the social media platform uh, in the event, and there has to be cause for this, then the social media platform has to, has to give them where this originated, because obviously that person may or may not have uh, deleted the, the original post or, or whatever it might be. And then, as you know, in WhatsApp, things get forwarded so many times, you kind of have right. no idea where it came from, right? So, so it's, it's, those were the two main things that, that created the big question marks. Um, WhatsApp has actually taken the government to court over that second provision, saying that it violates the privacy of, um, of the people on WhatsApp. An interesting uh, debate. We'll see where that goes. It's, it's, it's just been filed. Um, uh, but in the case of Twitter, it's that first one that's that's still um, in under question. So as of uh, Friday, which is May the twenty eighth, right? Uh, everybody has complied with this requirement. Um, they've notified the government who the officers are and so on, except for Twitter, who threw it in at the very last minute. They actually put one of their somebody from their law firm as one of the officers, and the government turned around and said, "Look, the regulations were quite clear. You must employ." The officers, they must be under your employ because they have to be able to take action where it's needed. So that's kind of the, the larger picture. The deadline for this just, just passed. Uh, the government had already announced a 15-day extension, although they had given six months initially. Uh, and within that extension, of course, like I said, everybody but Twitter has finished compliance and Twitter is still pending. And on the second point, in, in the regulations that they set up, it was if you're marking something as misinformation, you have to provide the evidence to go back to the source to say how you know that this is misinformation, correct? Yeah, the, 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 this is where the, this is where, again, like so a lot of this controversy stands at the moment or, or where the, where the, where the pot is at the moment, right? Uh, so because there is this question mark that, that Twitter has been employing, but also other social media platforms have been employing, they've been integrating with quote unquote fast fact checkers. And I say quote unquote, not because uh, I'm, I'm already doubting them before we start, but, but the fact that they're, they've employed somebody to do it. And we don't know who that is. And, and so, so the idea is to provide transparency on that process. Because ultimately, uh, especially the stand Twitter is taken, which is to say, hey, this is, you know, free speech is being affected because of these regulations and so on. Uh, you know, the government's turnaround is, okay, well, you're asking us for transparency and we'll provide it. But in, in return, you must provide transparency towards how are you making these decisions? Who's deciding something is manipulated or not? Why is someone being banned? And in the event that we want to question that, you must be able to provide us uh, through, of course, through appropriate measures, um, you know, what the source of these things are. Fact checkers are just a, a thing of mystery in my mind. John Milton talks very clearly about censorship and fact checkers in the, uh, in some of his, his writings, the essay, the Archipagetico, um, can never pronounce it, but he talks about that if you have fact checkers, or censors, then you have need to have someone who's fact checking the fact checkers. Yeah, and here we find ourselves <laughs> yeah, in this loop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. you know, we'll be talking about something very specific, a very specific instance today. But it really, it also applies to what has happened with uh, the COVID crisis over the last year, where 
people like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram have all been fact-checking and banning and taking down any sort of content that would suggest that this virus has come from a a man-made lab. And now all of a sudden, we're seeing information that's coming out that's suggesting, wait, this actually might have been leaked from a man-made lab. And so it, it is very problematic when all of a sudden we're having people jumping in with an agenda and fact-checking something without actually knowing whether something is true or not, whether or not knowing if a, a post or an allegation is actually true, which leads us to these toolkit stories. What is happening? First, what is a toolkit? I mean, this is, I find it fascinating, but for those of us who maybe aren't familiar with, with what has been happening in India with toolkits, fill us in. Okay, so I mean, the name has originated, uh, you know, a few months ago at the start of the year because it's it's something that happened. Uh, it was something that was tweeted by Greta Thunberg, actually, uh, and that became sort of this this now name that everything is dashed in. But fundamentally, I mean, these things are actually they're just documents uh, to help campaigns, right? And those campaigns can be social media campaigns, hashtag campaigns. You have all these things happening. They've been happening forever. Like this is no, there's nothing new in, in terms of uh, a group of people organizing themselves towards some goal or the other to create awareness for something or the other or drive an agenda of some type or the other. So that, that's not really as bizarre as the name makes it sound. Um, what happened is that there was, of course, there's a farmers protest that, that began at the start of the year, um, which led to a lot of international attention, including the likes of Rihanna and Greta Thunberg tweeting about it. Uh, and when Greta tweeted about it, what happened is her follow-up tweet was she attached actually the document into as, in, as part of the threat to say, hey, just follow this information. Um, obviously that led to a lot of people being like, hey, what's this? And clicking it and discovering that not only was there a lot of information about some things, there was also a lot of unverified claims that were like, tweet this anyway, you know, uh, just, you know, we don't, without any source and, you know, those kind of things. But it basically instructions for celebrities who wanted to talk about it mm-hmm. without any verification and so on. So that became this kind of, uh, it, it raised the first sort of big question. I mean, these questions have been raised for some time that, oh, this looks like, a little piece of evidence that says that you're trying to run actively a campaign, an agenda-driven campaign for some purpose. And uh, so that's that's really where that, that originated initially. She promptly deleted it. There was a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people got in. It was a Google document, actually. There was a lot of live editing. A lot of things got changed. You know, the, so there was a whole controversy that lasted about a couple of days there. Um, and so, you know, we haven't really heard much about that since then. Uh, I know an investigation is on in terms of uh, and the source of the document is known, but but beyond that, there's not been uh, there's not been an outcome of any investigation yet. More recently, uh, a document came out. Uh, this is a, uh, about a couple of weeks ago, or ten days ago, give or take. Uh, basically, listing out a number of things to do to create the impression or to drive home uh, the impression that India is struggling, the government is not responding, uh, uh, you know, due to the COVID crisis, and also magnify. Um, every instance where it is, I mean, so for example, there's this whole debate right now about uh, what should the variants of the virus be called, right? And, uh, you know, this this document was like, no, make sure that people call it the Indian one, you know, so that we can create that uh, that feeling of like, oh, it's, a, it's something that originated out of India, even though, again, you know, that's something that's up for debate. Um, uh, similar things were tried, by the way. So Singapore had, had the same thing as well. Somebody called it Singapore virus. The Singaporean government stepped up and said, hey, that's not true. You need to take that off um, and things like that. Uh, but then it went on much deeper, right? So there were things like reserve beds in hospitals, don't get, release them to the public, create the artificial scarcity. And then when you are tagged or when specific people are tagged, only then say, oh, look, 
we have a bed for you, we're stepping in, the government can't help you and create mm-hmm. that, that kind of thing, right? So they, these are some of the, again, I'm, I, it's like a 14-page document, like we're not going to get through every provision, but they, these were some of the provisions that were there. So so a, um, a tool, let me jump in real quick. So a toolkit in of itself isn't necessarily nefarious. It's just a, a brand media document saying, hey, we, this is our agenda. Here are some of the ways that we can unify to push forward our agenda. And those could be, you know, good agendas. They don't necessarily have to be nefarious. But in yeah. Greta's case, and in what we're seeing right now with the the COVID tool case or toolkit case, they were using, it was a nefarious agenda to smear the the perception of India and the government of India really was a propaganda campaign that was unified to say, this is how we're going to undermine the perception by being deceitful. So it's not just, hey, this is the way that we want to talk about stuff and to to push forward our agenda, but this it's, we are going to be intentionally deceitful in whether it's talking about uh, where the origin of a strain of virus has come from, or whether it is hiding oxygen tanks or saying there's not beds in hospitals. Is that right? It's the yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, and then of course, there's, like I said, there's a lot more to that uh, to what was what was in that document. Like I said, it was about 14 pages. Um, you know, everything from uh, what to write about. You know, uh, contact uh, you know international publications and give them images of people dying in the streets, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, and to be clear, again, you know, it's not that India went through a pretty tough phase over the last couple of months, but as did the rest of the world. Right. And so when you see a document that says something like, do not, you know, do not post the recovery, the number of recoveries, right? Do not do this. Do not, those, those kind of, you know, you, you read that and you're kind of like, okay, wait, there's, there's a huge question mark here. It's now, similar to the this, Veritas takedown of uh, CNN, where CNN was saying, we're not going to post all the recovery stats. We're only going to, Post the bad news because that's what's driving clicks and driving impressions and getting our agenda right, across. Right. Similar, yeah, yeah. And again, like I said, it, it it was everything from this is the kind of messaging we need to do, but also actions. Like so, we're talking about oxygen. I mean, oxygen tanks, beds. And by the way, like a lot of um, you know hoarding, oxygen hoarding, oxygen tank hoarding has been uncovered as we've been seeing, um, you know, through various investigations. But obviously, these are all sort of happening in parallel. Um, and I think what's interesting here also is that there's a there's a huge debate on whether this document is real or fake, right? And I and I think that that's something that um, is being questioned. So obviously, the moment this document came out, um, instantly the people uh, whose you know whose whose logo was on that uh, is in a political party whose logo was on that document and stuff came out and said, hey, this is a fake document. Uh, you know, this has been done just to smear us. We didn't do actually do any of this stuff. Uh, or we didn't write this document. We're not the owners of this document. Um, and for me, in terms of this debate, uh, I, I want to just quickly address that point. But I think we need to talk about sort of what happened with Twitter thereafter. Uh, but but honestly, it's it's kind of it's one of those odd things where everything in that document actually did happen, right? Or, or most things in the document have actually happened. Uh-huh. So uh, the fact that there were uh, even the New Zealand consulate got into a bit of controversy because they tagged the handle that's mentioned in that document to arrange for oxygen tanks, right? Instead of going through the usual channels as they should as a consulate should with the foreign ministry of the country, for example. And in fact, the, the, yeah, the press conference, the prime minister of New Zealand actually clarified that, yeah, we didn't actually, it's our mistake. We didn't follow the actual channels. And that's why the, that tweet was immediately deleted. Um, so you're kind of thinking to a second, like, that looks like it was a campaign that ran. Um, so for me, either way, if this document was actually done by them and they executed based on it, or this document was reverse engineered based on their actions, you know, either way, the, the actions have happened anyway. 
right? And and all of that stuff is going on and the fight over whether it should be called the Indian variant is on and so on and so forth. I mean, today there was a headline in The Guardian that basically said, okay, so we're not calling it the Indian variant, so what should we call this variant? And it was like, <laughs> I mean, that seems like a very interesting you know, tone to take for for this issue, like the problem isn't the name of the variant, right? But hey. well, yeah, I mean that's um, that's so, that's also conf- confusing because when it was called the Wuhan virus or the China virus, uh, the Chinese coronavirus, it was this, it was oh that's xenophobic, you know we can't call it that. That's like just showing how racist and xenophobic um, a certain individual was, uh, but. But now yeah, we're but seeing the same thing like, happen with South African variant, the UK variant, correct. and the Indian variant. And Singapore. So if, and the Singaporean, Singaporean well, variant. Yeah. So if they say, well, what else are we supposed to call it? Well, they figured out a different name to call, uh, you know, the Wuhan virus. They decided to call it the Corona-19, COVID-19 virus. Yeah, okay, right. Well, th- this is this is just a, a, an aspect of this debate. And again, we, we can get into that to, to a large detail. But so the point is that uh, Twitter marked, when, so this was shared quite actively by uh, you know the ruling party, it was shared by ministers, it was shared by a lot of people to be like, oh my God, this is deplorable. At the time when the nation was going through crisis, you were trying to score a political point and you were actively preventing uh, you know, medications, vaccines even. I mean, we've, we've seen that there are certain states where vaccines haven't reached. Uh, you know, we had a lot of uh, issues with oxygen and so on. Uh, you know, you saw every campaign that went, India can breathe, India can breathe, India can breathe. And you could, you could see that kind of unfolding. Um, and so, you know, Obviously, there was a lot of tweeting about it to be like, okay, this is absolutely deplorable. And again, like I said, the problem is the actions that were listed in the document had actually happened in in many cases, or at least verifiably so. Um, so, so that tweet and those tweets were marked as manipulated media, right? Because the the person accused of authoring the document has filed the case with the police to say, hey, I didn't fi- I didn't write this document. And therefore, someone's defaming me or, or someone's defaming our party and therefore an investigation should be carried out. And very quickly after that was filed, Twitter marked it as manipulated media. And so that's kind of where the story kind of continues. Um, so this investigation reached the Delhi police because that's where the central government is. Uh, and that's where the sort of the central offices of all these firms are as well. Um, and so as a result of which, um, you know, the Delhi police actually issued a notice to Twitter to say, look, you've called something manipulated media that we are currently investigating the source of and so on. And if you are claiming that's manipulated media, that means you have evidence we do not have. So come join the investigation. Mm. Give us the stuff you have so we can carry out the investigation to its own course. Um, if I'm correct, there, are, there were three different notices that were handed out, none of which were responded to. Uh, the third one was to the MD of Twitter, the local MD of Twitter, was not responded to. Uh, and so on Thursday, on Wednesday, there was this big news that kind of jumped out everywhere to saying, oh my God, the Twitter offices are being raided by Delhi police. They're turning it over for things. Oh my God, this is like an attack on free speech. And then, you know, it took a couple of hours for the reality to come out and it turns out there was nobody in Twitter office. They couldn't even enter. They had just come there to give a physical handout of that document, of that notice to say, look, we have not got a response from Twitter. We need to know who the person is so we can hand it off to them so that we can get that verification. And we know who that person is so we can file future responses from that person. That was essentially what happened. Uh, So, of course, none of that was, none of that happened, but there was a bit of outrage for a couple of hours that, oh my God, you know, they're they're going after it. Um, And so that's where it stands at the moment. I mean, you know, Twitter has now complied with a part of the regulations. So that's one side of it. Um, and then this investigation is still on. Did did Twitter take off the the designation that this is manipulated media? 
no, not as a, not a, not that I have last checked. At least not not as of a couple of days ago, uh, when when things were ahead. So at the time, so which was Wednesday evening, when 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 the Delhi police had actually come there, that had not that had not changed. So what I find interesting, and help me play this out. What you're saying is, yeah. okay, even if they didn't, even if the this the opposition party didn't write this document and this document got leaked, but someone who is in opposition to the opposition party created this document and leaked the document, whether or not it was, it, it would seem to me that it would be a little bit more nefarious if they actually had this document and used this strategy very intentionally in a unified way as a political party um, to undermine the confidence yeah, in the handling of, in, of what's going on. In the on. handling yeah. of what's going yeah. on, which is similar to what has happened uh, in America over the last year. We, we could see very clear media strategies that was used to undermine uh, confidence in President Trump and in, in, in his handling of uh, the coronavirus. But, but you're saying whether or not this document was created or not, they did everything that was written in the document. Yeah, and that's why I say like it could just as easily have been someone that wanted to call them out, reverse engineering the document based on the things they did, right? So the problem, uh, uh, this is where I, I, you know, I kind of want to separate the two things, right? There is the question mark of why did Twitter go ahead and make that assumption when an investigation is currently on? Yeah, uh, and and the result of the investigation hasn't been published, and I think that's the debate we should have because that's the long term one. Because the, uh, the on outcry, this- the outcry is well, the police going to Twitter offices—that's a violation of free speech. They're trying to st- shut down free speech. When in reality, you could make the, the exact opposite argument of that. Twitter is trying to censor free speech for their own political agenda by marking something as misinformation when there is not credible evidence one way or the other yet or if they have evidence again and that's exactly the point said okay if you do have credible evidence then then provide it so that the investigation can also be carried out because clearly you seem to have something um the problem like i said the the other side of this is the the tech is for me this is a technicality discussion i mean yeah legal one yes but a technicality one right because you can differentiate and say well they took out the actions maybe they have another document that says exactly the same thing right it's just this one isn't authored by them so this investigation might lead to say yeah this particular document was fake but again those are again the technicalities of a very specific issue that will see some some recourse i mean we have the one from january and that's still kind of going through, they're still figuring a few things out um so eventually uh, and i believe by the way that because it's a, it was a, again a, a document uh, some level of the author has been traced and they're they're working on that and so on um so for me that is that is the it, it is an issue but it's the it's the individual issue on this one whereas the the fact that twitter went ahead and marked it uh, ahead of time again while there's this overarching uh, conversation around Twitter needing to comply with regulation to provide information, um, you know, against their policies, right? Because again, it goes back to that question of who's who's verifying that, who is the person that's doing it, how is that being done? Uh, the also process should be transparent. Correct. Um, yeah. And I think the free speech conversation tends to muddle this whole thing because it's very easy to take a side on freedom of speech, right? Because when you say, "Oh, freedom of speech is being affected," you then say, "Oh, no, 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 we got to support that." But is is that what the debate is here? And I, I don't think it is, by the way. But but it's very easy to throw that in. And I think that's the stand Twitter is taking because it allows them to fight this in the in the court of perception or court of public opinion or whatever you call it, as opposed to taking it to court. Because, by the way, Twitter has that legal recourse 
to say we don't think these regulations or these regulations violate uh, the rights of the people of India or uh, their ability to to express themselves or or pick any any of the you know any of the principles that we have in our constitution and take them to court over it, which they could do and they can take the government to court and and WhatsApp has by the way and and that'll see its own play um, and that'll see its state in court too. What's interesting that you said about the the freedom of speech bit is it's a misconception among many people that oh freedom of speech is being assaulted so we need to defend freedom of speech, but we don't have freedom to lie. We don't have freedom to be deceptive. We don't have freedom to defame or slander someone. And so I think there's there's a difference between just pure freedom of speech and realizing what that actually means in the context of the bounds of freedom of speech, which can, depending on what the truth is in this situation of who wrote this document, it could really go either way. It could go the the freedom of speech is, well, this person put out a mani- manipulated document, or it could be Twitter is acting as a publisher and not acting as a bulletin, and therefore Twitter is manipulating media, not that this document is manipulated media which is kind of the bigger thing that you and I have been talking about of, of big tech yep. and media scripting the way that people see the world and the opinions that they have and therefore uh, shifting culture. See, the, the, there's a, there's a, another problem here, right? Because when you say freedom of speech and when I say freedom of speech, we might mean two very different things because freedom of speech under the laws of America and freedom of speech under the laws of India and freedom of speech under the laws of China and Singapore UK, and South Africa, yeah. they're all different. Very different. right? And and so the question mark now is, and you remember on our last episode, we talked about sort of Uganda saying, you know what, during elections, we're just going to ban Twitter. I'll try it. Um, and yeah, Twitter took a freedom of speech argument there too, right? Um, so I, I can understand, like I said, why Twitter is taking that, that stand. Uh, but again, if Twitter has to take a stand of freedom of speech of the Indian people, right? It has to fight that out in a court in India under the laws of freedom of speech that are applicable in India. Correct. And that's where this debate starts to get questionable. And that's what um, is also, when, when you look at these, these offices that have been requested and so on, it is to create that compliance with the law of the land. Um, and so, you know, without getting into that debate too much, you know, Twitter is banned in China, right? But we don't see Twitter taking that fight because they know that there's no outcome there for them, right? They're not even trying there. As far, as far as I can tell them, they may have tried at some point. Maybe they have back channels running. I don't know. That's why I said. But but the point is that ultimately the law of the land applies, right? If a local government requests information from, from a social media platform that is within the ambit of the current law that exists, then Twitter has to turn that over or risk, um, you know, losing in court or having a fine. Or Again, it all depends on the ambit of the law. And that's where the question goes back to you have a company that's based in the US uh, and similarly by the social media platform that could be based anywhere, delivering a service to someone in India and what laws apply, how is grievance to be filed, how do we take things to, to, to the process? Because again, we have to go back to what's due process here? Mm. And sh- does the person whose tweet was banned or whose tweet was uh, marked as manipulated and therefore doesn't show up in, in a search, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, what about their due process? Because they're not getting it from Twitter, right? Because Twitter just says, oh, this is X or this is Y. And then you, and then what do you do? And then, and again, this is something that came up in the last episode where a lot of argument is, well, they're a private company. They can do whatever they want. Yeah, but they're a private company that exists within the laws of 
you know, the lands that they operate in ultimately. And so this is where this debate starts to get murky. And that's why I think this is not a freedom of speech debate. Uh, and if it was, they can they can fight that out in court. And they should fight that out in court, by the way. I'm, I'm all for it, right? Because let that let that come out. Let the law be interpreted. Let the let the uh, you know let the judges come down and say, fine, you know what? The way the freedom of speech law is written, or the way this regulation is written, violates a fundamental right, and therefore uh, an adjustment should be made or not. And the and and the courts in India at least have the power to do so. So if it's not a freedom of speech issue, are you saying that it's more a manipulation of of big tech trying to shape the narrative illegally without? Information? I, for me, it, it, well, you know, uh, as I've said before, like because I'm not a lawyer, I can't say necessarily if it's uh, where the legal line is has to be drawn, and but it has to be drawn somewhere. But yes, the question mark at the moment goes back to the same thing: is Twitter a publisher or a platform? Or as in the case of India law, it's called an intermediary. It's a place that provides um, an opportunity for someone to air view. And the moment Twitter steps in and decides. We're not going to do that. They also then consequently lose the protection they have as an intermediary, which is to say, you are not responsible for, for what's being posted on your platform because you're just allowing posting to happen. And that's very different when you are publishing a piece of news that might defame somebody, that might be illegal, that might incite violence, that might incite a riot, that might incite misinformation, that might cause harm, etc. And so that's when the laws of the land start to apply to say, well, Okay, if you've made this decision, um, how do we uh, how do how do we get to the bottom of that? How do we investigate it, right? Because ultimately, social media platforms, as you said, are a public. They've they've become a public bulletin board. They have become fairly essential services, uh, not just by the way, for also for governments and dignitaries and celebrities and people and and CEOs of companies to communicate with their audience. Right, so if you're not a platform and you're starting to become a publisher where you are deciding how that information is rolled out, we're not saying that you can't do that, but what we're saying is if that happens, then two things happen subsequently. One is you start to become liable for that information, partially or in whole, right? And two is, so which basically you lose the protection of being an intermediary. And I think that that is an important distinction to be made. We're not saying don't have an algorithm or don't decide that or don't integrate with the fact checker or whatever, but don't do it while also saying, oh, we're just a platform, therefore we should be protected because that, that, that changes that definition. I've been thinking about, about this, of whether or not it would be, whether it would be better for these companies to no longer just be intermediaries and really have the accountability of being publishers but that would seem to have a lot of negative effects on people's ability to share because the the level of responsibility that would then be on these platforms would be quite vast. It'd be nearly imp impossible and they could have lawsuit after lawsuit. But then on the other side right. of, okay, well, then they are just pure bulletin boards. Well, then it, it seems that you lose the you lose the boundary lines that, that keep it from just being a total swamp of, whether it's a swamp of misinformation or defamation or, or just no algorithm. And so your feed is just flooded and you have content collapse. And then these platforms become equally as irrelevant. What? Yeah. And again, this is, this is where we, we kind of have to see like at, at what layer should this be happening? 
is, is the question. So when you look at it from an intermediary point of view or a, or a platform point of view, ultimately what it is is we're providing the technology and the platform, et cetera, to, for people to communicate with each other. And then let's say you post something that might defame me. If the law of the land allows me to do that, I may file a suit against you and we'll, we'll resolve that in court, right? Because that's what should happen. Right. Here, yeah, here what's happening is you might post something that might be true, it may be taken off, and you have no recourse here. And that's a problem that can happen. B, because there is, many, because there is a, an altering of just purely, and that's by the way, at least in, and I know this is true for Section 230, but it's also true for uh, how an intermediary is defined in India, is you have to share the information exactly as the way it was posted, right? Uh, that, that's the criteria. Correct. So when that happens, um, this actually allows me tomorrow not only to sue you, but also to sue Twitter. To say, you're the reason I'm being defamed. And that's the reason why this protection existed, is to say that if you have a huge audience and you land up defaming me, I, I can, of course, I always have legal, legal recourse to come after you. Um, you look at libel laws in the US, you look at defamation laws in India, as they're called, and same applies in many other countries. That's why those laws exist but they also prevent Twitter from being liable or, or any other platform from being liable because they're just acting as a platform. And that changes when all of this thing starts to happen. So if we were to take a couple steps back and, and zoom out back into the big picture, what does that mean? What does that mean for us? Like, what does that mean for you and I? What does that mean for how we should begin to think about uh, the way that we communicate in the future, the way that we position, whether it's our personal brands or businesses or the way that we even engage and interact on these platforms, the way that we think that government policy should should be shaped. Like, how, how do we bring this home to, to what it means for me? Yeah, that's a tricky one, isn't it? Um, I think there's, there's two parts to this, or I have sort of two thoughts here. Um, the first is... I think this long pending question, which is what is the legality of my data stored somewhere is now coming, or it seems to be coming to some kind of head, right? Um, individual countries are now stepping up. We've seen this in India. We, we spoke about Uganda. Um, but look at, for example, the GDPR law, which is the privacy law that was enacted by the EU a couple of years ago. Right. The way the law is enacted, it applies to anything in the territor territory of the EU but also to European citizens who might be living anywhere in the world. What does that mean? So that means that if you're European and you're, you're living in, I don't know, in India, for example, and your, uh, you know, your data is stolen by or, or, or sold by or manipulated by Facebook or Twitter or anybody else, you can take them to court in the EU, right? That's how the law is set up because that's the only way you can, because again, software platforms and, and all these applications have a pretty free run all over the place. So this is a debate that, that this is how the EU decided to settle it. I think this is a debate that's been coming for a very long time. Um, you know, I shared the example last time of, of just from a tech angle. These are questions we've always asked, you know, where is this data going to be hosted? I don't want it hosted in the, in the US because of... Uh, the way the Patriot Act works there versus, for example, the the the, act, the the laws work in Switzerland, for example, right? This is this is a, it's been an ongoing debate or ongoing question, um, and I think this is coming to a head now because we're starting to realize that all of these platforms have a tremendous power and the tremendous social graphs and mm -hmm. tremendous power of influence, and so then who is going to hold them accountable? Because at the moment they're above the law to some degree, right? And the Indian government has no recourse, for example, or any government to file a case in U.S. court against a platform. Because that, that, nothing's built for that. So these legal frameworks have to be rethought. 
to understand that when you have something that is worldwide, how does it apply? How does the law of the land apply? Do we do we look at, I mean, it's very difficult, of course, but do we look at a centralizing authority similar to the EU uh, that mandates this and says, yeah, if you're going to operate in a country that doesn't maybe have, you know, its individual law is supreme. And then for any provisions that aren't there, we have this sort of framework that should be applied and you can be taken to court over that. You know, there, there are, these, are, these are the kind of questions I know people have been talking about. It's very difficult to get worldwide consensus on anything, let alone this. Um, so, but these kind of questions are going to be asked. And at the moment, I think the, at least the short and medium term outcome is going to be every country is going to start deciding for themselves and they're going to hold the platforms responsible based on the law of the land, local. And then the second thought is, as you mentioned, regarding us, you know, we've been talking about sort of what does it mean for us? Yeah, you know, a lot of us, I think a lot of people I'm talking to are, are just kind of not posting. They're tired of it. You know, they're tired of this thing. They're tired of the way the news is being portrayed to them. There, there, there is so much fatigue out there. Um, and so... What's going to emerge from this is going to be interesting. I know we've we've spoken offline about the pseudonymous in economy of having uh, verifiable handles, but not linked to you know not linked directly to persons and locations. Uh, you know, doxing has become something that that is happening as a result of these platforms. People right. are getting called out and attacked. You know, and and these are, these are all sort of these are we're we're now coming to the point where we're 10, 15 years into the social media revolution, coming to a place where we're starting to see the real effects of what's going on. And so I think one part, as I said, the laws will start to shape around it, which have obviously, they are always behind when it comes to this. And I think people will also start to change how they start to post and, and how much information they reveal and how much they want to get into these debates. And I, of course, I think these debates need to be had, but they have to be had in an environment that, is, that allows for them. Uh, and I don't think, or at least my, my personal feelings, that does not exist today. Uh, today, you do not know if the piece of information you're reading, if the news you're reading, and that's not even, uh, I'm not even getting into the media part of it. I'm just talking about the social media platform of you receiving it, uh, whether it's verifiable, whether it's credible, just because there's a verified handle, you don't know if that, you know, th these question marks are all been raised over the last year or two specifically, if not the last five years. And it's time, you know, I think we, we are starting to see things like crypto and other things you know, start to provide alternatives for social networks as well. And I think that's what's going to happen. And I think that's something we mentioned the last time as well, is it almost seems like we've hit a tipping point for social media networks and something is going to fundamentally change as a result of it. Yeah, I, I've, I've, you know, I've been talking about this for quite some time. I, I recently have been realizing that even if you're using social media platforms to grow your business, Still, in some ways, you are the product, right? You're the product mm -hmm. of these platforms, and the, I mean, you've always been. Yeah. The, the the way that they program you, it's not. It is a level of okay. They can manipulate your algorithm feed. They can manipulate um, what they fact check, how they fact check it. There, there is a level of that. I think a a bigger which those things are debatable. I think people can debate of of saying well. Actually, they're just trying to feed you what you're liking anyways, so you're automatically going to go into a silo. Right. It's it's not necessarily that they are specifically trying to feed you what they want you to see. It's they're feeding you what you want to see. But what they what what they are intentionally doing and programming is rewiring our minds with it with dopamine kicks and hits and to create this addictive substance of social media, which is one reason that I know that y you probably and I as well, why we do podcasting, why it's long form. It's, it, it breaks out of this quick hit 
um, dopamine punch of social media where it just feels so it's for me, it's begun to feel so fake to feel so not real life. And so I've been really pulling back, uh, hard from my engagement on these platforms because I'm realizing, wait, when my mind is put into this soup of, of idea contagions, um, even if I'm not picking these contagions up, I can notice that my mind is having to actively fight against these narratives. Um, and it drives the level of anxiety, which drives us to further engage, to try to, uh, to, to calm that, that storm within. So I do hope that we see a, a shift away. I do hope that people begin to shift away from these superficial online platforms to, to something that's more, that has more substance behind it. That's more real. Yeah, I think I think I think the problem is that you know we've been doing this for a decade or so, decade plus. We are absolutely addicted to getting a feed of information, and and is a problem. We can debate it, but it's a habit as well, right? Um, you know, I know a lot of people. I know sometimes I feel it too, right? I, it feels weird when my phone hasn't buzzed in a while, or or I haven't received an alert, or something hasn't. You know, you know what I mean. Yeah. And you're sitting there doing, and and again, you know, last year had a big part to play in that. But you're sitting at home. Nothing's happening. All right, I'm going to just scroll through Twitter and see what's going on in the world. And then you're just being fed all this information. So, so I think, you know, part of the reason I feel like there is a, we are heading towards that sort of tipping point. It has been last year. I think people, because they were enclosed, because they had, they were, they had nothing else to do in terms of or nowhere else to go except to be on social media and be in these communities, um, you know, have started getting the, like what I mentioned in terms of the real fatigue of it, um, which might, which might cause change. And we'll see that it might take uh, it might take years. Again, like I said, it's a habit. We're kind of falling back into it. Um, but you know, uh, this is something we have debated. I know offline. I've been thinking about for many, many years about you know, was there responsibility social media platforms had when they were launched and what they were set out to do, and are they achieving that purpose today? Are they not? Are they, are they have they let go of the responsibility? Have they not? I mean, these are questions. I think. They need to think about. We need to think about. Governments need to think about. You know, um, and 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 then decide in terms of where can we find some kind of common ground. Because yeah, there is value in connecting with people. There's value in in being able to speak to relatives who don't live in uh, you know anywhere close to me, um, or friends or or whatever. And we're, we're all global people today. Uh, but then, how much of it has gone far, far, far beyond? Right. You know, Facebook was 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 meant to connect people in colleges and 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 you know figure out if people were in relationships and see pictures of parties and 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 then connect with friends and family who were far away from you. And today, it's you know it's we're just seeing political uh, politics and we're seeing uh, this campaign and that campaign. You know, you know what I mean. So so we have to kind of go back and wonder about that. And I think that it has it has definitely changed how I post, right? I, I have very specific reasons why I post and why I engage on the platforms. Um, but you see it among the people. You see uh, the amount of anger, the annoyance, the fatigue that's there. You know, and and as you mentioned, like you know, you see something, you're being fed it over and over again, and then you know it's one headline, and then you know you're you're tweet storming people and you're sending a broadcast message to be like oh my god did you see this did you see this halfway around the world you know before uh you realize that actually it's not even sometimes not even real so um like i said i think there there is uh, i think people have to make their changes as well ultimately these platforms are driving 
on the fact that uh, people are on it and spending time on it. And yes, they, of course, they're doing things to, to keep you on it because that's their entire business, right? Um, they're not making money off of you directly, so they have to keep you on the platform so that they can make money from other people. Um, and so until that model changes, I don't think their approach will change, but it'll change if people start to move away and stop giving them the attention. Yeah, I don't know. I, I agree with you. I don't know if we have fully seen the effects that this is having on Generation Z and the coming generations, um, yeah, what so is that going to do to our social fabric, our, our synapses, our, our, our relational fabric, um, connectivity, um, how, how these platforms are going to end up changing society for generations to come. It's yet to be foreseen. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much for for coming. Any any last last closing thought, action, takeaway? No, I, th- I think we've. I think I think no. I think we've 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 covered everything. Uh, like I already said, I think uh, people should be thinking about how they're posting, what they're using the platforms for. Um, there are some goods we can do with it. Uh, good things we can do with it, and I think we can try and focus on those for the moment until we see how these things resolve. But I'm sure we'll be back again to talk more about. Absolutely, this. Chirag. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Lucas. That's all for the conversation with Chirag. If you have been thinking about worrying or meditating on big tech's power to control narrative, to control the things that you see or don't see, to control the way that your community thinks, and you want to safeguard yourself and your community, this would be a great place to start with your community by sharing this episode with them so that you can have a conversation and talk about the the tension between whether we should have these big tech companies being intermediaries between us in our lives and how to move away from our dependency on them into independent platforms, independent uh, communication channels, or even one-to-one face-to-face interactions with people so that we're not living our existence mediated by social media. If you got value from the show, I would love and I'd ask you to give value for value. You can go over to the website and you can give value to the show in the measure that you received value from it. But don't go away. We'll be right back with our closing Weaver and Loom segment. Welcome back to Weaver and Loom, a part of the show where we take ancient wisdom, and we weave it in with our everyday life so that we can own our future and weave our destiny. We have been talking throughout this episode about Twitter and big tech being able to manipulate media and the political parties using media and media strategies and propaganda to shape the way that we view the world, which reminded me of this quote that I heard recently. The quote is by Max Dupree. And he said, the first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. The responsibility, the first responsibility is define reality. It is to define truth. It is to tell the people who they are leading and stewarding, the people that they are serving, to define what is real. And that can mean whether it's in in a business of what your actual bottom line is and the, the, the path that the company is taking and the health, the current health of the company. It's to be transparent and honest 
with the reality that is happening within it, or it could mean from a political stance of defining the, the reality of the history of your nation, the history of the country that you're in, or even as a, a father or a husband in the family, defining the reality, the, the culture that you want to see and that you are fighting for within your family, defining the reality. It is an, an important, an important role that all leaders have of defining what is true and what is real, what are the values that we aspire to live by, and how we will walk those out. When I think of everything that's been happening with media across, especially over the last year, where we have seen media platforms step up their censorship to a crazy level, deplatforming people to a, a an insane degree, and now we're we're becoming to find out that even after the fact, people who have been deplatformed over false information, we're coming to find out that that information wasn't so false. And I'm re- referencing what has happened with the new findings of the COVID virus. Actually, could very possibly have been man-made. Could have actually been leaked from a. Uh, a lab in Wuhan. And yet people were deplatformed over saying that. People were deplatformed over sharing evidence about that. People were were shadow banned and their accounts were taken down because they were sharing the evidence that they found. Leaders are to define reality for those that they're leading. So that starts with us because we are the ones who are really leading our own lives. We're, we have to define reality to ourselves. Now, we can't just make up whatever we want. If we define reality with falsehood, then we will get falsehood in our lives. If, we, if we're defining reality with falsehood, we will create a, a dystopia. We'll create a, a distorted image of the truth, a distorted image of where we are going or who we are. And we will end up with distortion within our relationships. We will end up building upon shifting sands. We won't have a strong foundation by which everything is built upon. If we build our lives upon lies and deception, our lives will crumble. Instead, it is our responsibility to seek and find truth, to do our best to discern what is real in the world. And that goes not just for situations like these that we've been discussing of whether media has been manipulated or not, but more so it's defining the the moral and ethical truths by which we decide to live by and discerning if, if something is wrapped in a very clever package, if something is wrapped in something, for instance, like so, like social justice, where it sounds good, it sounds nice, it feels good, but when you unwrap that package, you find out that social justice is not true justice. And if you and I want to live as having a foundational piece of truth in our life, being we want to be people who walk justice out in our personal life and and in the way that we view the world around us, then we have to reject the, the principles and the the corruption 
that has brought has come into society through clever packaging like social justice where it's not each person getting what they deserve based on their actions but it's from taking from some who have earned to give to others it's by judging social justice is judging people not based on individuals not based on what a individual does but upon groups and identity groups it's identity politics wrapped in a term of justice to push specific postmodern neo-marxist agendas and so we have to be people who fight to define truth for ourselves for our family and for the people that we lead so as you go out this week focus on speaking the truth to those that you lead and defining reality with honesty and clarity, whether that's the the reality of your history and your past, being humble in areas that you've fallen short and bold in the areas that you know that you've succeeded. Communicate the present day situation and the actions that we have to take today in order to reach our goals for tomorrow. Be bold about that. Speak with honesty and openness. And don't shroud and don't try to hide or mask hardships. It's when we define reality and both the hardships and the blessings that we are in, in the hour that we are in, that we are able to call those that we lead, whether it's ourselves or other people, we can call them to stand up in an hour of trial and tribulation to take on the tasks at hand by painting a vision for the future that we want to lead people into. Whether it's leading ourselves, having that vision in front of us day in and day out and laying that out, laying that reality of saying, this is where we are going. Will you come with us? Will you come with me? And we have to enroll ourselves into that vision every day as much as we have to enroll our families, as much as we have to enroll our children, as much as we need to enroll those that we lead on the teams that we are in, in that vision of the future. And we have to define what that looks like. And if we do that, if we can make a practice of doing that, then you and I truly can own our futures.